the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. There's an old saying, breaking up is hard to do. According to today's guest, Amy Chan, while breaking up can be painful, the heartbreak can be transformed into healing. With a dose of tough love, Amy offers advice that can help anyone turn their greatest heartbreak into a powerful opportunity for growth. Amy is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, the relationship magazine Just My Type, and she runs a private coaching business in New York City. She blogs for the Huffington Post and is the author of the book, Breakup Bootcamp, the Science of Rewiring Your Heart. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Amy, let's start off by talking a little bit about your life and how you got started on the journey of helping others with their relationships. Yeah, uh, about 10 years ago, I was in a relationship and I thought I was living the dream. And to me back then, living the dream was date, get married, and live happily forever after. And I was on my way. And I uh, Then one day that relationship fell apart through infidelity. And when that relationship fell apart, I fell apart. I had put so much of my identity in him and us that um, I didn't know who I was. I had panic attacks. I had thoughts of suicide. And it was a very dark space for me. And I did everything I could to heal. And it was a long, uh, really challenging journey. But once I, you know, got onto the other side, I realized that I needed to create something to help other people who are going through this sort of pain so that they can learn the tools to navigate heartbreak and that they can actually use that heartbreak to kind of transform and shift their life. What you just described, your experience, I think that that's common for a lot of people, women in particular. I I know what happened in my life. I was groomed to, you know, go to college and then get a, a job and start a career, but it was really not my true profession because my real profession was to be the wife and mother to the family I would create. And I dutifully did what was expected of me. And for 23 years, I was that perfect wife and mother. And when I woke up in middle age and I realized, you know, who am I? What happened to me? And it was in that self-discovery trying to figure out what I wanted and what I needed that my 23-year marriage ended because I was changing the dynamics of what I had created in our relationship. And so like you, I was left feeling depressed and anxious and, you know, having done that for so many years, I didn't even know how I would support myself. So I think the work that you're doing is so relevant because it is such a common story. Yeah, Joan, I think your story and my story, are. there's a lot of similarities and I think a lot of people can resonate because, you know, from a a very young age, we are socialized by the fairy tales, the love songs, the movies that give us an idea of, of what successful love is, right? And there's this idea that a success in a relationship means happily forever after. And I don't think that that's the benchmark for a successful relationship. Our relationships are here. They could be here for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. You know, there's some relationships that that you go through that teach you what you don't want so that you can create basics for what you do want. And I agree. I mean, I was groomed as well. I, I groomed myself to be perfect, the perfect girlfriend, so one day I could be the perfect wife. And it wasn't until I had that breakup 
that I, you know, stopped and I was like, wait, whose ideas are these? Are these mine? Is it, or did I just kind of adapt them through osmosis, through looking at my parents and through society and these cultural norms? And it wasn't until I realized I have a blank canvas. How do I want to paint this canvas that I felt empowered to write the next chapter of my life? My life wasn't ending because this chapter of the relationship was ending. And I did the same thing that you did, Amy. I had to rewrite my life as well. But as you know, when you go through a loss of a significant relationship, the pain can be unfathomable. And oftentimes people say, I'm never going through that again. And they shut down. They close themselves off to the world and to love again. So how does a person do, as you say in the title of your book, how does someone begin to rewire his or her heart? Yeah, there's different stages of, of, of grief and separation. And so I think first it's important to understand that you're going to go through all the stages and you might jump around because healing is not linear. There are six main stages. It starts off with shock, then denial, then sadness slash depression. Then it moves into anger. And then you might go back into denial and maybe even a relapse. And this is when you're like, oh, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I should give it another try. And then maybe enough times of doing that and getting the same outcome, you finally get to a stage of acceptance. And unfortunately, you can't fast forward through any of those stages. You, you're going to bounce around, but you need to go through them. And the very first stage, you need to allow yourself to process the emotions. You know, if you break your leg, it's very standard. You know, you go to the doctor, you might get a cast. You're not going to remove the cast and run a marathon right away. We need to deal with matters of the heart the same way. We have to be gentle with ourselves. We can't judge our emotions as good or bad and allow ourselves to process them instead of distracting and avoiding the emotions. Um, I think it's also common for people to kind of get stuck into psychoanalyzing and going into, you know, thinking and rumination because it's a way of escaping um, processing the emotions. And so I would, you know, warn people to not do that either. The, you know, the next stage is when you can start to reflect and look at what are the emotional experiences that keep repeating and then look at what are those patterns so that you can start shifting them. I think what you said is so important because you just described the grief model and often people don't give themselves time to heal. It's like they jump from one relationship to the next without taking the time to say, okay, what went wrong here? What do I need to do to change the way I view a relationship and what am I willing to accept or not accept from my next relationship? Yeah, exactly. Because jumping to another relationship right away or is a way of avoiding dealing with your feelings. They're uncomfortable, so you distract yourself. And there's many different vices, whether it's, you know, going back into dating, whether it's alcohol, whether it's partying, and, and all these ways are just avoiding dealing with our stuff. And the thing is, there's compound trauma, right? Because this whole learning the tools and the patterns, because it's never just about the ex, it's recycled pain. And if you don't deal with that pain, if you don't heal those original wounds, they're just going to follow you from relationship to relationship. You know, they talk about first-time divorce rates. I, I don't know the exact statistics, but it's something around 50%. And then the second marriage divorce rate, I think it's about 60, 63. And then I think the third jumps into the 70s. And I hope I'm not too far off on my numbers. But that shows you the trend of not learning the lessons from a relationship, that you're going to repeat those patterns. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. When we, ha when we are young, we actually develop our internal GPS of who we're drawn to and who we're repulsed by. If you didn't have a healthy model of what love looks like and feels like, you actually, your psyche actually, as an adult, recreates the scenario of the crime in an attempt to, to change its ending. And this is done on a subconscious level. And this is why you see people jump from relationship to relationship or marriage to marriage, and they haven't dealt with those original wounds because subconsciously they're trying to just recreate the scenario with a, now a different person in an attempt to change its ending. And so it's so important that we do the work up front to start healing those wounds so that we start changing the relationship outcome. So then if we start to assess what it is we want and what we don't want from our next relationship, what are some tips in that you offer to help us cultivate that lasting, loving, strong relationship? I think the very first thing is identifying what is your definition of love. Because a lot of what we have been fed since we've been young children is not love, right? The Romeo and Juliet story, the, the love songs, the fairy tales, they paint a picture of love that is actually, you know, lust. 
and codependency. And so we can equate intensity and chaos and, you know, push and pull with love when that's not love at all. And if we don't identify that this isn't love, that can set us up to actually, you know, dismiss potential partners because we're like, oh, you're boring. This isn't exciting enough. And that can make us chase people who are exciting and full of intensity, but it's completely not love. And it can also cause us when we're in a relationship and things are stable and it moves from the honeymoon phase into the more, you know, um, companionate love stage, which is, which is fueled by different chemicals, um, which is oxytocin and vasopressin. Those are the bonding chemicals. You might think, oh, something's wrong in my relationship because you're not feeling that crazy intensity and that obsession anymore. But you're not realizing that this is a natural life cycle of how love goes. It starts off maybe fueled by dopamine and intensity, and then it can move into something more stable and peaceful. And so I think that's to reframe what your ideas of love is. When you were describing how you had set up your life to be the perfect wife and, and everything had to be perfect, and I set up my life to be the perfect wife and mother, and, you know, we set these really unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And, and when you live your life that way, you tend to give up who you are and what you want. So in cultivating a strong relationship, how important is self-care and self-love, putting yourself in the equation? Disempowerment sneaks up on us. And when we lose ourselves, it's not like one day we're like, okay, I'm going to get in this relationship and I'm just going to you know, stop doing my hobbies. I'm going to stop building and cultivating my community. And I'm just going to be completely codependent. It doesn't happen that way. It happens death by a thousand cuts. And so it's really important that if you have tendencies to try to merge with your partner or kind of lose yourself in your relationship, you need to actually have check-ins regularly with yourself to maintain balance. And I really, you know, I do this exercise in the book and at my breakup boot camps is draw a circle and in that circle slice up, you know, how much time you devote to your relationship and to the other things that are important to your life. And if that slice of pie devoted to your relationship, is it 50%, 70%, 80%? I work with people with sometimes they do this exercise and 80, 90% of their slice of pie is devoted to the relationship. So of course, after a breakup, they feel like their whole world is turned upside down. And, you know, if they don't get proactive with filling up that space, uh, that 90%, they, they fill it up with thoughts of their ex. And so if you're even in a relationship right now, it's not too late. Look at that balance. Is it off balance? And then how can you actually, you know, nurture your friendships, nurture your hobbies, nurture your own identity outside of your relationship, you know, and your partnership? Because this is super important because otherwise we start to feel disempowered. And when we're disempowered, there's an uneven power dynamic and that eventually causes problems to come to the surface. That's the the greatest piece of advice that I give to young people, uh, women in particular, who are embarking on marriage or, or getting into a, a you know, a, a very a deep lasting relationship, I always say to them, I don't regret giving all that I had to my family and the way I raised my children. But what I do regret is what I allowed to have happen to myself. And, and like you're saying, putting yourself in there, doing things that nurture you, it really is the greatest gift that you can give to your loved ones. Because when your well is full, you have more to give. And, and I think that that's something that people really need to pay attention to. Yeah, and if we ignore our own self-care and, you know, doing those practices daily that cultivate compassion, that cultivate gratitude, the, you know, our emotional health level, you know, starts to, to get lower. And who we're drawn to and who we draw in is going to match our own emotional health level. And so if you're not healthy yourself, it is going to be really difficult to draw in and maintain a healthy relationship. So yes, put the life mask on yourself first because you are not doing a service to anyone by ignoring your own needs and neglecting your own self-care. So Amy, we're living through some very strange times right now. And anyone who's trying to find love or date between a pandemic and social isolation and quarantining, how does someone go about doing that in the world we live in? I think that the pandemic, there is a silver lining in dating because this is our, our time to actually kind of reevaluate if what we've been doing up till now has been working. And, and so this is our opportunity to actually 
get off of that treadmill that we've been running on and start changing. And so if you haven't been happy with your relationship outcomes, don't keep doing the same thing. It's like as if you're baking a cake and you know that a dairy, you know, a cake made with dairy makes you sick. But you're like, you know what, I'm just going to keep using milk and I'm not going to make almond milk because that's too hard to do. But you're constantly, you know, unhappy with this cake that makes you sick. Do the work up front to start to change the ingredients of what you're putting into the cake. So assess what are your patterns right now? What are you repeating? What are the values that are important to you? And, you know, right now you might want to conduct a dating experiment. Date 10 different people who are outside of your type. That might mean you set up FaceTime dates or Skype dates and you swipe on people you normally wouldn't give a chance to and you kind of expand your ideas of what you think your type is. Because we all have this list on a cognitive level, you might be they have to have this height or they must make this amount of money. And we really stop ourselves from giving a chance to people that we might be really compatible with because we have these ideas of who we think we should be with. So this is a time. And when you conduct a dating experiment, you also take away the pressure of, I need to meet the one. All you want to do in this experiment is you know, build your muscle of, of creating curiosity, build your muscle of creating connection with another person, have fun with it. And, you know, that kind of makes lightens the mood and makes dating a fun thing because you're, you're working on just building your connection skills versus this daunting pressure of I need to meet the one. And in doing this, this new age of more virtual dating, is there any advice that you can offer to someone to help him or her put their best foot forward or are there, you know, security concerns they need to be aware of? Is this changing the dynamics of dating? I think it's important to, um, you know, do FaceTime, don't just do phone because, yes, you can get catfished and and so you want to be careful with that. But you also don't go in and, and look for the red flags because, look, if you're looking for all the red flags, you're going to find them. And so you want to really just be as open and curious as you possibly can. And in that conversation, you will sense if there is some chemistry. And you might not sense it's romantic chemistry because sometimes on a cognitive level, it takes time for you to process that there's romantic chemistry. All you want to ask yourself is, hey, am I having fun? Do I want to talk to this person again? And if so, that warrants another, you know, virtual date. And, and hopefully enough virtual dates until you build enough of uh, a connection and emotional connection where hopefully when it's safe to do so that you can meet in person. Um, but don't write people off so quickly. I think that's the number one thing. I think we are surrounded by people that could be potential partners, but too often we're dismissing people way too quickly. The book is Breakup Boot Camp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. If you'd like to get more information about Amy and her work, you can visit RenewBreakupBootCamp.com. Amy, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I think the greatest lesson in our lifetime is to practice opening our hearts, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. So whatever you're going through, whether you're going through a breakup or just the pain and stress of this pandemic, Try to not put walls around your heart. Know that you can learn the tools to get back up, to be, you know, cultivate resilience so that you can love with an open heart because you're doing yourself and the world a disservice by going through life by being jaded and having walls around your heart. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Hi, doctor. Hey, freelancer. Hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazza with Kinem.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, Naruka and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about NARUCA, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP, the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinem Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinem will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800 800- 850-5110. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss why you're not out of time. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Joan. So, Allison, I know this is something that I have been guilty of many times in my life, especially as I'm getting older. What happens when we think it's too late to follow our passions and dreams? Well, first of all, it's one of the biggest fears we can take on in life because we all have passions and we all have desires. And what an awful feeling to think the thing that resides in your heart so strongly is no longer possible. And what's so interesting about this is when people come to speak to me at my office, 25-year-olds and 6-year-olds, they all have the same problem. And I think the reason why a lot of us take this on is that our society has a timetable. There's a time to go to school. There's a time to have a child. There's a time to have a family, a time to get married, a time to retire. And because we live on this timeline, what it does, it it creates a reality that is not necessarily aligned with our true desire or passions or what we really want. And when you're really able to drop this idea of time, you really open up. Yeah, sure, there, there could be a time if you wanted to be an Olympic swimmer and maybe our body ages to a point we can't do that any longer. But there's so many things that are always possible. You could start a business at any age, have a re- new relationship at any age, start a new career at any age, go back to school. It's just literally shifting how we decide to see our lives. And I remember years ago, I was at this event for I'm the Hugging Saint, and I was placed next to this woman who was 80 years old. And when we were talking, she told me she went back to med school in her 40s. And she ended up having like a 30, 35 career, year career at um, a government agency. And I remember saying to her, why did you go back when you were 40? Didn't you feel you were too old? And she said, absolutely not. I always put my passions and my dreams before time. And that's what many of us do. And, and I don't mean to be political in any way, but if you even look at Joe Biden, he's going to take office when he's 78 years old. And sometimes I think about him when he became a senator. He was one of the youngest senators ever sworn in at the age of 28. 
And I'm sure at that time he had dreams and he had visions that he was going to be president in his 40s and his 50s. And I laughed. Could you imagine if someone came to him and said, hey, do you know you're going to be president when you're 78 years old? He wouldn't have believed it. Mm -hmm. But life is about passion and heart and timing and determination and some luck. And so if we make ourselves available to life at all times, then time won't be the issue. Then our heart will be the issue, our desires, everything that we truly want. And I have seen people in their 40s, 50s, 60s create new things all the time. So stop thinking about time and spend more time thinking about your desires and your passions because what you desire desires you. And if you stay open and you don't turn your back on life, life will be open for you. All right, so Allison, how do we quiet the fears that keep us from our truth? One of the things I do is I use the maybe practice, which I know I talk about so often, but it really helps us because this time issue is really about fear. So it's a fear of what's possible, fear of the unknown, because if someone would come to us and say, this is possible, I know because I could predict things, we would do it. So it's really just our own fear of uncertainty that makes us doubt what we know to be true within our heart. So I would use the maybe practice and the maybe practice is write down your biggest fear. My big and our biggest fear is usually we're out of time. Uh, I'm not going to be able to start that business. I'm out of time to start a new career. I'm out of time to fall in love. And then we get to ask ourselves, are we absolutely certain if that fear is true? And what's so beautiful about this exercise is you can't be certain. You can't be certain of anything, but because we're not certain, that means that there's hope and there's possibility. And so then you start writing maybe statements, broad ones. Maybe the thing I want is still possible in my life. Maybe everything is still okay. Maybe I could take a class. Maybe I could research that new business. Maybe I could open myself up to a new relationship. It is so small and so simple, but all you're doing is putting doubt on your fear. And when you put doubt on your fear, your mind opens up, the windows open, Hope comes in and we get to engage in what's possible. And that's the key to life. You know, we create so many of our obstacles with our fear and maybe allows us to drop the fear, drop the obstacle and be open because sometimes life has another plan for us, but we're not home. So it's so beautiful to let go of this, this feeling that we're out of time, this pain and open up to the maybe open up to what's possible. And, and also with this pandemic, a lot of people are so nervous that, you know, they're missing out, but it's just a different time. It's an inward time. And the more we're in maybe, and the more we're willing to let go of time, when this pandemic's over, we are going to be just running out of the gate and we are going to be so ready for everything that life is trying to give us. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, you can visit alisoncarmen.com. Or as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. Do you allow fear to stop you dead in your tracks whenever you think about trying something new? Does that voice in your head conjure up a list of reasons to be inactive while you shouldn't try to accomplish a goal? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to face your fears and step out of your comfort zone. For most of my life, I was that person, too afraid to take a chance, self-sabotaging myself at every turn. I had a reason for every roadblock that I built. I allowed fear to govern my life. It took a major life upheaval and a lot of soul searching to get me to change my ways. And when I did, I realized that I hadn't really lived. I played it safe and simply survived. Over the course of the past decade, I have had the opportunity to interview people that have inspired and challenged me to step outside of the comfort zone I called life. I met warriors who have overcome tremendous challenges and displayed courage that most can only imagine. They changed my way of thinking. Some of these people were born without arms and legs or feet or hands. Others have lost their vision or the ability to walk, and others have survived horrific trauma and now live their life in service to others. Every one of these people had every right to live in fear as they faced unfathomable challenges, but they all chose to confront their limitations and achieve what many would consider to be impossible. They understood that fear is nothing more than a mindset, a perception, false evidence appearing real. They taught me that each time we face our fears, we gain strength, courage, and confidence in the doing. 
So the next time you're faced with an overwhelming challenge, an opportunity to try something new, or the chance to step out of your comfort zone, how do you push fear aside and take action? First, evaluate the driving force behind your fear. Is it a real consideration or something that you've created in your mind? Then make a list of your concerns and attack them one by one. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing that can happen? And by the way, it usually doesn't. Then develop a plan of action. What is your goal and how will you achieve it? Empower yourself with knowledge. And finally, muster up the courage to take a chance. The best plans are meaningless without action. As the explorer Christopher Columbus said, you can never cross the ocean until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Remember, it isn't the end result that matters. It's the journey. And you just may enjoy the ride. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Katherine Johnson was an American mathematician who was one of NASA's human computers and an unsung hero of the space agency's early days. Her calculations of orbital mechanics were critical to the first and subsequent U.S. crewed space flights. Catherine was among the women profiled in the book and movie Hidden Figures. Today, her daughter Catherine Moore joins us to discuss her mother's achievements that broke down gender and racial barriers so that her daughters and millions of other young women could reach for the stars as she did. Catherine, her sister Joylette, and their mother Catherine co-authored the book, One Step Further, My Story of Math, the Moon, and a Lifelong Mission. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Catherine, your mother's story it is absolutely a story that resonates with me. I love the book and I love the movie and I'm so happy that you're joining us today. So when did your mother's family realize that she was a gifted mathematician? Uh, Well, actually, it was before I came along. Mm -hmm. She was a little girl, the youngest of four. Her brothers and sister were both all three in school and she was home. So they looked around and saw her walking up the street, and they said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to school to help my brothers. They are having trouble with their math, and I think I can help them. Four. She was four. <laughs> and uh, so the teacher said, went to see my, my grandmother and said, uh, I think I need to start a, a school this summer for the daughters and the young kids because your daughter is ready. Mm-hmm. She could spell, but see, my grandmother had been a teacher, and she, mom knew how to spell. She knew how to sew because the, the teacher, I mean, to write, the teacher was spelling to my grandmother as she was talking, thinking she was keeping things from my mother. And she, she looked, she said, you can spell, can't you? And my, my mother very nicely nodded her head. So she started school at four, and they skipped her and skipped her until she finished high school at 14. How did she get her job at NASA, and and what was it like for her to navigate the world of the 50s and 60s? Well, it started very simply. uh, She went to the wedding of my aunt, my dad's sister, in Newport News, Virginia. And my uncle, who had, he and my aunt had lived there for a while, and they said, well, NASA just started hiring NACA at the time, and they see a, just, started hiring uh, black mathematicians at the time it was colored or negro and uh, she said you're kidding okay we're on vacation we'll go so she went they got her an interview and the of course she maxed the exam and they said oh but we're sorry we've got our quota for this year go find a job and uh, we'll we'll try again next year so she went to the one of the black high schools, got a job teaching math, and went back the next year, and, of course, they hired her. I don't think she even gave it a thought that she would not get hired if she applied. There were other black mathematicians there because black colleges were visited and they needed black mathematicians because the federal government had started saying, uh, 
government funds for NASA programs, you must have representation, et cetera, et cetera. And so they made a pointed effort to find some black mathematicians, and she was in that lucky number. They already had some there, but she got in at, at the right time, in the right place, and did the right thing. What was it like for her navigating her career during that time? Number one, it was the 50s and the 60s, and second, it was a, a male-dominated industry. So what was that like for your mother, a woman? You know, my mother was the type. She never, ever complained when she came home. What she said was, I love my job. She learned to work with the men. She didn't feel intimidated by them, nor a second-class citizen because they respected her because she had the answers they needed. She was able to be part of a team. She believed in that. She liked working, and she would say, I didn't do this by myself. But yet, when it came down to those figures, that was her work. You know, my work is around the premise of change your attitude, change your life. And your mother exemplified having a positive attitude and the right outlook. And, and look what it was able to do for her life. There's, um, there's a great line in the movie Hidden Figures in which your mother states that she and the other women achieved so much, not because they wore skirts, but because they wore glasses. So what yeah. would your mother say to women today and to all the little girls who wear glasses? You can do anything you want to do. You just must prepare yourself. Do the work. You know, you don't just walk into a job. You must be get prepared for that job. And uh, she was curious from the time she was little. She said, she said well, why? Well, what happens if? Mm-hmm. And she would, you know, she said she was counting from the time she was doing dishes. Well, why are there only four plates, but there are five forks? You know, things had to make sense. She said, because math is either right or it's wrong. Did your mother pass that on to you, Catherine? Did your mother pass on that curiosity and that positive attitude? I think she did, uh, just as the grandparents passed it on to her. We were never... um, You know, math was just part of what we did. Math was fun from the very beginning. We worked puzzles. We we added numbers. We added license plate numbers. Uh, We played hopscotch. We played dominoes. The card faces, you had to tell whether it was more or less than or do they match. Those are the ways you introduce kids to numbers without making them fearful of it being hard. Catherine, in our final moments... What do you believe your mother's legacy is? What impact has she had on the world? My mother's legacy would be you have to just be and do and excel at whatever it is you attempt to do. You have to believe in yourself. You have to be curious. You have to be honorable and just be able to get along with people. She enjoyed her life. She would tell you in a heartbeat. She loved her work. She said, I didn't work a day in my life. I enjoyed what I did. And I think that's such an important legacy, and and it's a great place to leave this conversation. It's that your mother enjoyed her life, and I think so many of us are caught up in this rat race of life, and we're doing things that don't give us any pleasure, and it's just such a beautiful message to enjoy your life. It's simple. Yes, and I hope they see that in the book. We had fun doing the things we did, even though we were limited at times. And now the sky is the limit. That's what she meant by one step farther. You can go as far as you can take yourself with help and with work and perseverance. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people change their lives as well as organize their homes and offices. There is no one-size-fits-all organizing technique, and as specialists in chronic disorganization, our clients tend to be non-neurotypical. We often need to think very far outside the box and be creative in the solutions we offer. We need to tap deeply into the process 
processing styles, sensory preferences, lifestyles, professions, and interests of our clients. For a doctor, a system that organizes an office as if it were a human body may be effective. For a compulsive shopper, organizing a home like a department store may resonate. One of my clients is a man on the autism spectrum. He loves theater and needed a system for doing laundry. I created a mock playbill for him with pictures outlining the acts and scenes of the flow of doing laundry. It helped him relate to the task, explained the steps using both verbal and visual cues, and made something tedious a bit more fun. I'm Gail Gruenberg with Let's Get Organized. Working with you on-site or virtually, we can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. If you're ready to create unique and fun organizing systems, call us at 201-364-6833 or visit our website, lgorganized.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert and speaker who empowers people that are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss the missing link to complete healing. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. Linda, you've worked in the healing arts for nearly two decades. What have you observed over the years that you see as the intriguing missing link to complete healing? Yeah, that's right, Joan. And I've combined my skills as an intuitive body worker, massage therapist, energy healer, and life coach to help people heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, often people come to me completely exasperated with traditional medical interventions. They either have symptoms that can't be diagnosed or aches and pains and dis-ease that hasn't healed. Many have been through lots of diagnostic testing, they've been poked and prodded, and yet they still have the same issue. And while everyone comes with a different problem, issue, or symptom, the unresolved storyline is always the same. They've given their power over to someone who takes control, prescribes, and directs them as to how they need to heal. And at first, this feels like a relief. Maybe they believe they found someone who will help them. But as time goes on, when symptoms don't improve, or they finally have side effects from procedures or medication, the person is frustrated and really ready to give up. That's usually when it's recommended they see someone like me. The intention, my intention is to give them the proper tools that will empower them to take back the control and responsibility for their own healing. I only facilitate the healing. I empower people to become part of their healing journey. I do this through a process of asking powerful questions and taking them beyond the surface. We really dig deep to find the root cause connection for the issue at hand. I believe that every physical issue has a root cause that's either emotional, spiritual, or comes from a disempowering belief or set of beliefs. So the missing link really is the process of providing tools to empower people to take back responsibility and control of their own health and teaching them how to become part of that healing process. So you just mentioned giving people the proper tools to empower them. What kind of tools do you mean? Well, no two people need the same thing. Some it's doing a process or two that creates a powerful paradigm shift, right? One that rewires their subconscious mind to see their issue from a new perspective. Sometimes it's a process that helps them clear out old wounds, a sort of energetic or emotional purification. I teach them things like self-massage techniques, acupressure points, or EFT tapping, or chakra work and breath work, among many others. I may take them through a process where they discover old beliefs that are holding them back. We clear out those old beliefs and replace them with new empowering beliefs. Then we anchor in these empowering beliefs with an inspired action plan that takes them step by step closer to their healing goal until they reach it. Sometimes we discover they need a prescription of self-care, some downtime so they can actually find their value, their worth, and no longer feel guilty 
put themselves first once in a while. Maybe it's a plan that includes specific foods that are in sync with the seasons to help them heal. What always amazes me year after year is how simply asking the right questions and listening deeply to their answers honors people enough for them to open up and speak their truth. At that point, it becomes clear exactly what the body needs. And here's the amazing thing, Joan. These discussions and processes, often individuals themselves will come up with their own prescription, one that their body would have written had it been able to speak out loud. And people feel so encouraged and empowered when they get to this point. And then I can share with them what I had written down. And it makes them realize they can indeed be part of their own healing process. Linda, can you share with us an example of someone who practiced your advice? Oh, sure. And I think that would actually help people understand this process better. So recently, a client had undiagnosed lung issues, and specialist after specialist could find no physical reason. Through our discussion, it became apparent that she was holding in her body, and specifically in her lungs, the grief from the end of her marriage and the death of her best friend. Really tough stuff. Her self-written script was to start letting go of this grief by intentionally writing down all the good things that have happened to her since these two big losses. Then she also decided she wanted to let go of much of the clutter in her apartment because it was symbolic and it represented another step towards letting go of the grief. We continued to work together as she processed her loss and we kept creating small but progressive action steps on her personal journey back to joy. She was part of this process. And do you know what? Within five and a half months, her lung issues had healed after suffering with them for over three years. She found her power and her worth and took control of her own health and her life and found that missing link to complete healing. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda or any of her programs, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. Or as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. to your health. Joining me today is Dr. Rojini Raj, a board-certified gastroenterologist and television personality. Dr. Raj is here today to discuss digestive discomfort. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, Doctor, digestive discomfort can be the result of more than just overeating. It may be caused by a condition called EPI, or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Tell us about EPI. Sure. So EPI stands for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, as you just said, and that's a condition where your pancreas is not producing enough digestive enzymes to digest your food properly. So what you may experience in that case are symptoms such as abdominal pain, bloating, 
diarrhea, or unexplained weight loss. And the issue is many of these symptoms are also symptoms that are similar to other GI conditions. So it's really important to speak to your doctor if you're experiencing these symptoms frequently or on a recurring basis to make sure you get the proper diagnosis and ultimately the proper treatment. And you can certainly learn more about these symptoms at identifyepi.com. Doctor, who is at greatest risk for having this? And, and how do we know when it really is more than just overeating? I mean, you know what our diets are like today. So how can we tell the difference? Sure. Well, in terms of EPI, it has been associated with certain conditions like cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, which is a chronic inflammation of the pancreas, or even people who've had some type of pancreatic surgery can develop this condition. Uh, but in terms of how do you tell if it's just an occasional indigestion or something that needs to be investigated, it's really about listening to your body, taking, t- paying attention to the frequency of the symptoms. So if it's just once in a while when you know you've kind of really overindulged, then that's probably something that happens to all of us occasionally. But if it's happening frequently, if it's recurring, if it's something that's affecting your life or your ability to enjoy your life, then it's certainly time to talk to your doctor and get to the bottom of the condition and make sure you know what it is so you can treat it appropriately. Can EPI be dangerous if left undiagnosed? Well, it certainly can affect your ability to absorb the nutrients that you need. It can lead to vitamin deficiencies, um, the weight loss as well, it can be concerning. And it can be associated with some other very serious underlying conditions. We talked about cystic fibrosis and chronic pancreatitis. So it's certainly not something that you want to leave undiagnosed. Um, you want to get to the bottom of it and treat it. And where can our listeners go to get more information? Identifyepi.com has a lot more information about the condition and the symptoms associated with it. Dr. Raj, thank you so much for being here with us and for bringing this condition to our attention. Again, Identifyepi.com is a wonderful source for more resources. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.